right, everyone. We, uh, <laughs> Jason does like small groups. <laughs> he, leads, he leads one that's on campus on Sunday mornings. Uh, listen, one of the things that we're trying to do is trying to get a lot of things going as we are opening back up from COVID for this fall. So this fall, we're opening up small groups. We're doing things on at homes, Sunday morning at 9 a.m., Wednesday evenings on campus. We're trying to do different, do different trainings. We've got a Titus II women's ministry mentoring thing that we really want to see start taking off. And I'm excited about the stuff that we have going on. And I just, I want to encourage you to really consider engaging in the things that we have. Like, don't just hear it and move on. There's a lot that's going on. One of the ways we want to encourage you to engage some of these things like these small groups and um, some of the trainings that are happening on Wednesday nights is on September 1st, that Wednesday night from 5 to 7 p.m. Uh, we're bringing a food truck on campus. I, I'm trying to bribe you with food so you can show up here after work. It'll be here for two hours. Um, we can eat and then go to your groups or go to your the training that's going on. Or if you're not one of those, you can talk outside for a while. But that's what's going on Wednesday, September 1st. We've got that food truck. And I just really want you to consider checking out some of our groups and trainings that are going on. Um, now we're about to jump into a new series on Acts. And, and before I do that, I want to take a moment to pray because here's what I know. Um, I need God to help me teach. I have no doubt about that. It is clear to me every time I walk up on this stage. Um, and I also know this, that if God's going to work in our hearts, we need him to help us hear what he would say to us. We don't want to be arrogant and just blaze a trail. We really want to encounter God through his word. So would you take a moment and just, just pray with me? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And, and right there in your seat, would you just take a moment and and ask Jesus to help you hear what he would say to you through his word. I ask him to help me teach. Heavenly Father, um, God, we, we need you. And, and we really believe that you really are here. God, we believe that you're real and that you're present and that you're strong. You're, you're stronger than our sin. You're stronger than our hard hearts or our, our inability to hear. God, you are stronger than all of those things. And you're kind and you're gracious. You want to be known. And so, God, we're praying for this time that, that we would hear from you. God, I pray you would help me to teach, that you would fill me with your spirit and enable me to proclaim your word faithfully. God, use my weak words to do things in people's hearts that only you can do, which is cause it to burn for you. God, that's what we want. We, we want to be a church that loves you and obeys you. So God, I pray as we take time looking at the word today that we would take a step closer in that. Please meet us here. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, the book of Acts, it's a book about the early church. I mean, the very beginnings of what we are part of today. This thing that we're doing today is not 10 years old or 30 years old or 50 years old. What we're doing gathered today is 2000 years old. It is, it is old and it is ancient and it is holy. Uh, I, I use the word holy because when you start reading the book of Acts, what the church looks like and what the church does, it's just... It's just awe-inspiring. It makes your jaw drop and it, it blows my mind when I think what's happening in this early church. It's, it's powerful and it's a movement they describe halfway through as a thing that's flipping the entire world upside down. 
Like it's, it's this thing that can't be stopped. And, and they're doing this. But within a generation, the entire known world is filled with the message of Jesus. Churches are everywhere. And political leaders in cities don't like it. The, the, this, this baby church has no protection. It has no standing. It has no buildings. It has no history. It's got nothing. And these city leaders hate it because it's flipping their cities upside down. And, and they're trying to stamp it out. So every time the church pops up, these, these leaders in these Roman cities are trying to kill it and crush it. And no matter what they do, no, no matter what they do, no matter how many people they imprison, no matter how many people they beat, no matter how many people they threaten, no matter how many people they kill, it doesn't matter. This crazy little band of people just kept growing and growing and growing. It, just, it spread like wildfire and nobody could stop it. And, and I look at that and you read about the early church and it's, it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's clean and pure and powerful. It just draws people to it. And then when I read the book of Acts... And then I look at my experience with the church, but please don't be offended by this. But, but that doesn't line up with my experience. Can, can, can we be that honest this morning? Are you okay with us being that honest? That when you read the book of Acts, it's like you're reading a fairy tale of something that you can't even imagine existing. Like you come to church all the time and you've never seen anything anywhere near like what you read in the book of Acts. I mean, not even close. Not even close. And it drives me insane. If I'm honest, while the early church was beautiful and attractive, the, the modern church is weak, frustrating. It's the opposite of attractive sometimes. It's repulsive. It's stagnant and angry and ineffective. The truth doesn't feel very good sometimes. We know it's true, right? Like we know, we, you've been around long enough that you've been in church. You've been in churches and you know that when you read the book of Acts, we're not like that. It drives me nuts. Just like agonizes deep inside me when I start encountering how pastors and churches are told to fix this problem. We're... We're told to fix it with better marketing schemes or more programs or bigger events or better carpet. I don't, I don't know. We can all fix all that stuff, but, but that's the solution. <laughs> a stagnant, ineffective church's biggest problem is carpet and programming. And I don't buy it. I, I, don't, I don't. I'm not saying those things aren't important. I'm saying they're not the reason the church is ineffective. They aren't the reason. It's, that's not what's happened, I don't believe. And and listen, as we look at this church, um, I, I want to put this in perspective about where we've been. Like some of this is on purpose. Okay. Uh, last year, we spent a lot of time looking at the book of Titus. Why? Because we wanted to see how the early church organized. We, we looked at this thing in the early church. We spent, was it six months or however, however a billion months I spent in the book of Titus, week in and week out, looking at how the doctrine mattered, how the leadership was not a pastor CEO, but was this group of godly elders who were guarding the doctrine and teaching and making sure everyone was connected and shepherd. We saw this amazing thing that they did. We saw this plan the church had to connect the people and the generations to make sure they were learning how to follow Jesus. We saw all that stuff in Titus. 
And then we made this shift where we're saying there's something else that feels like it's missing. And I spent nine weeks this summer about prayer. Prayer with the purpose, the purpose of seeing us move deeper into prayer so that we would see God work in our lives and in our church. And now we're going to Acts. And I don't think Acts is going to be as effective apart from Titus and a study on prayer. That's the order of this, these things. And my goal is to call us to action with every passage we look at in Acts. I don't want your brain tickled with a theory of what church should look like. I don't want you to walk out being like, man, I feel so guilty. It was so good. I don't want that. I, I'm calling us to action every single week. And I hope it's not 15 years in Acts. It's 28 chapters, so Lord have mercy. If Titus took me eight months, I have no idea how 28 chapters will go. But we're actually going to go a little bit quicker in Acts than what we've done in, in the other book. So without any other forenote or pre-discussion, we're going to jump into it. So let's open up Acts chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 1. Here's what he says. Um, in the first book, O Theophilus, what a great name. Um, and I don't know who uses O when they talk to someone. In the first, can you imagine me emailing you? In the first sermon, O church, like that's just, anyways. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Hey, listen, I, and this is Luke writing. He's saying, I wrote you, Theophilus, the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. I went through all the life of Jesus. I, that's what I wrote. Verse two, I went through it until the day he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after suffering, suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So, so here's Luke. He's writing to this guy named Theophilus and he's saying, listen, I've already written to you the gospel of Luke. I'm not going to preach that today. You can go and read that on your own sometime later this week. This is volume two of Luke's story of Jesus and the church. And he said, I already wrote to you about that. And I told you all the way up to when he died and was resurrected and how he went back up into heaven. I gave you all of that. Listen, I, and for 40 days after his resurrection, he was here present showing up to his disciples. It doesn't seem like he was with them nonstop. He was there with them here for a day, there for a day, here for an afternoon, maybe for a couple days. We don't really know, but he was like in and out gathering disciples. They're getting little snippets of Jesus for 40 days. That's not a lot of time in case you're wondering, right? I mean, that may sound like a lot of time. But we're talking like a little over a month a little over a month, and he's giving them. He says he's teaching them about the kingdom. He's been doing that for three years, but he's reminding them, and he's about to give them the mission. Let me, let me show you the mission that he's about to give them, okay? When you flip in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, uh, and I want you to hear this, and I'm going to be honest, I want you to feel a little overwhelmed by this because it's an overwhelming mission. Here's what he tells these guys. Luke chapter 24, verse 44 he says this, then he said to them, this is the very end of Luke, uh, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. This is what I told you before I died, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He's saying, listen, here's what I told you while I was still here before I died. I said everything. And he said, I walked you through the whole Old Testament so you wouldn't know that I had to die. 
And then this verse 45, then he opened their minds to, to understand the scripture. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Hit pause. Here's what he says. Listen, here's what the Bible told. Here's what I've been telling you. There's a message of forgiveness, the good news, the gospel, that the Messiah had to come and die for your sins and come back to life three days later. That's the message that I want you to take to everyone, to all nations. I need that to sink in for a moment. I just need you to, that to sink in. His mission that he's leaving these 11 apostles, these 120 disciples that he's giving to this first church and to us as a church is that every nation, every single nation would know about the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's a massive task. He, he says this there, verse 48, you're witnesses of these things. You've seen it. And behold, I'm saying the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed. We'll talk about that later. Matthew reports the same type mission. Listen to how Matthew describes it in Matthew 28. And I want you to hear this. It says this in verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Oh, this is crazy. He's summing up a whole lot of things. Like he came back from the dead. He appears. They're like, what is going on? Like he's back from the dead. And here's the mission that he gives in verse 18. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. See that there again? Listen, here's what he's saying. Every man, woman, and child in every city, in every country, in the entire world, I want you to go to every single one of them and make sure they know the gospel. Listen, I, I want to put this in perspective for you because this mission is audacious to me. Let, me. let me remind you who he's talking to. He's talking to the 11 biggest knuckleheads I've ever read about in my entire life. Right? Like you read the gospel, like, like the best of them is Peter. Peter, this guy that mouths off all the time, says the most outlandish things, kind of arrogant. I mean, so arrogant, he would bow up on Jesus and say, don't you go talking like that to these people. Don't you go tell them about your dying. Like you need to stop that talk. Peter, that, that, that's the best of them. Like the, this group of 11 uneducated men, they're, they're fishermen, man. These are not movers and shakers. They've got no, they're not social media influencers. They got nada on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is right now. They got nothing, dude. They make a video, nobody's watching it. Nobody. I'm just telling you, they're, they're not impressive. They're not skilled. I'm, they're not smart. Over and over and over again, Jesus is like, seriously? How many times do I have to say this to you? You're not going to get it? Like I've been teaching you for three years and you still don't understand. He, will, he literally would say blatantly, I'm going to go die on the cross and come back to life three days later. And they would go, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. Is that, is that code for something? No, I'm literally going to go die and come back to life. You mean, wait. What are you talking about? Like over and over and over again, they never got it. They're not smart. They're not skilled. And they're sure not brave. You know what they just did a few days ago? 
less than a month ago when the heat actually turned up, when all the talk turned to action, they all, every single one of them, tucked, tailed, and ran. They left Jesus all by himself in that garden. And his crew, his boys that he's about to rock the world with is 11 scared, weak, stupid fishermen. And his plan for them, I need you to think about this, make sure everyone in the known world knows my message. They got no internet. They got no electricity. They got no cars, no trains. Like, listen, they got to do this by foot. They don't have radio. They, they can't text message it to the entire world. They've got to actually walk and talk to everyone in the entire world. Let me put that in perspective. What if I said, hey church, here's what, here's what I want. I want everyone in Tallahassee to be spoken to by us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do you feel about that mission? Overwhelmed? I ain't doing that. You want me to talk to my neighbor? Listen, I'm in a room of people who are all smarter than every last one of those disciples. You're more educated. You're more competent. Please don't be offended by that, but you are. You, you actually have the Holy Spirit. They didn't even have that yet. They didn't even have the New Testament. You've got the entire New Testament. And if I put before this group of competent, skilled, trained people, we want to talk to every person in Tallahassee about the gospel, y'all start to get a little nervous and maybe wet your pants a little that I'm actually going to make you go talk to a neighbor. And Jesus talks to these 11 men and says, I want the whole known world to know that mission is just, it's audacious. It's quite frankly, it's impossible. It's, it's impossible. If you think Tallahassee is impossible, the whole known world is impossible. That's an impossible task that he's given and he doesn't bat an eye giving it to them. And church, you need to hear this. That mission that he gave them is the same mission that we are still supposed to be on. It's that same massive mission. We need to feel the clarity of it, the urgency and the size of that mission today. Don't ignore it and don't replace it with something else. There is a mission that Jesus gave us and he was clear. Every man, woman and child in the entire world, in every nation, in every generation needs to hear the gospel. Everyone, without exception, Man, so I read that and I picture, okay, if I'm the disciples, what do I do in this moment? All right, I'm in. You just, maybe I'm in. I don't know. How do you want me to do that? What do you want me to do? What's the strategy? Like, I, I think I see, but I, I don't even know the languages. I don't, I don't even know if I can walk that far. I mean, we don't even know much about Africa. How am I going to go down into that? Like, I got to go all over the world. I don't even know there's islands in the Pacific. What's happening in Australia? Like, my brain's going to go all over the place. Like, how do we do this? Right? So here's what happens. He gets ahead of him. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 1. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. He said, listen, don't just go after doing this yet. Like that could be Peter. I could see Peter. Okay, I'm on it. I'm gone. I might get scared and run when they yell at me, but I'm going to go do it right now. Peter, I'm taking Samaria. John, you're doing this. I can see Peter just sending them all over the place, right? And then come back and meet and we'll start spreading out. We just go, well, that's what we're going to do. I can see Peter coming up with that plan, right? But he says, no, don't you do it. Just stop, wait. The only thing I'm telling you to do right now is you go to Jerusalem, you sit down and you just wait. Just wait. So you give me this huge job and the only step you're giving me is to go wait. You give me this massive, urgent mission. So you've got all authority. You've got all power and everyone needs to know and it needs to happen quickly. Step one is wait, not strategize, not gather all the influence we might know that might be able to help, not research someone who's done something like this before. Like just wait, that's all you want me to do? Why? He says this, verse four, why does he want them to wait? In verse five, he says, uh, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you've got a task. You cannot do it. I want you to go and wait. What you need is you need a power you don't have yet. You need the Holy Spirit. And that, that's his thing. Now, now church, we're going to be getting to this later in the book of Acts because it's going to pop up over and over and over again. So I'm not going to detail it now, but here, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is what's, what's about to happen. There's an interim time period where they place their trust in Jesus and the spirit hasn't come. And when the spirit comes, it's about to unleash all sorts of power and strength into the church. Their plan's not going to do it. Their ability isn't going to do it. The spirit is going to fill these men and take up shop in these men and women. And they're going to rock the world, not by their own skill, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Get all nervous about Holy Spirit talk in a Baptist church. But there's a whole lot of Holy Spirit talk in the New Testament. Man, that's, that's the thing. And here's what I think the Bible teaches. The moment you place your trust in Jesus, whether you feel it or not, whether you know it or not, the Holy Spirit comes and takes up shop in your heart and life. If you've placed your trust in him and been saved, he's in you right now. He's given you a new heart. He's forgiven you and cleaned you. And you've got the spirit in you. So you're already a leg up on the apostles, right? Let me show you how knuckleheaded they are. It's got to prove the point again. So they hear this in verse six. Okay, so go wait in Jerusalem. Oh, he said the spirit's going to come. Sweet. You know what that means, don't you? So here's what they ask him. So when they come together, they ask him, so Lord, it is... Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Hey, okay, so I know you got this plan about making disciples of all nations. Here's what we hear, Jesus. You're going to make Israel really awesome. You're going to make us a military powerhouse. You're going to end the oppression of the Romans and make Israel great again. And we're going to rule the entire world. Your plan for making disciples is the kingdom of Israel kicking butt and taking names. Right? Is Israel going to be great again? Are you going to restore the glory of Israel and all her military strength like King David did back in the day? And that's how we're going to make disciples? (laughs) 
They don't ever get it, man. I need you to understand how patient Jesus is when we are stupid. He's so patient. He's like, man, I got to say this again. And I love, I love what Jesus says to him. He says this in verse seven. He said to them, I, I can almost hear the, okay. It's not for you to know the times. Hey, it's none of your business when we're going to do that. Just, hey, can you just stay in your lane right now? Stop worrying about when I'm going to set up the kingdom. Here's what I want you to do right now. Here's what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He says, listen, stop worrying about the kingdom. Just do what I said. Go wait. And the spirit's going to fix your crazy brain and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. That's the plan. Don't worry about the kingdom. Go wait for the spirit. I love, I love how patient he is. And, and then this next part, <laughs> this next part makes me laugh. I got to be honest. Um, he, he says this. And when he had said these things in verse nine, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. I just, I just need you to picture this moment, okay? Like, just when you think Jesus can't confuse or shock these guys anymore, he's like, listen, stop worrying about the kingdom. I, what I need you to do, just go wait for the spirit and he, he'll help you be my witnesses. And then dude starts floating up off the ground. Like, like, you can see this moment where they're like, wait, what, what's happening? I don't know if it was like quick, like whoop, or if it was like the slow, like dramatic, but either way, man, you're out, there's no strings. I wish, I wish I could have pulleys right now and just start floating. It would be phenomenal, like, right? But, but Jesus, he just floats up. I haven't seen that one before. Like he just goes and just a cloud. He just goes off into a cloud. And they're standing there like, like I'm supposed to wait here. Like I can see that moment. They don't, they don't know what to do, man. He hasn't left like that before. Normally he walks away or disappears. Now we're floating away. Like this is new, right? This is a whole new game plan. I don't know what to do. Is he coming back? Do we wait an hour, 30 minutes? Well, I mean, you just, you don't know. And God is gracious, verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, because that's what you would do. Like the, I'm, I just promise you, you wouldn't go, okay, let's move on. You'd be like, bro, I don't, you we're seeing this, right? That, that would be the thing. You would stand there and you would stare and they're standing there staring. They're still not going to Jerusalem and waiting. And so God's patient. And while they were gazing into heaven, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. They don't even see them. They got two angels just pop up. They're staring up in heaven. Like, I don't know what just, the walking water was one thing. This is different. Like they're staring and the angel says, men of Galilee. Hey guys, knuckleheads, fishermen. Uh, you can just hear the frustration. Why do you stand looking into heaven? Why are you, hey, wake up. I need you to get to Jerusalem. Go, that's what he said he was going to do. Go to Jerusalem. That's basically what happens. These angels pop up. They're like, okay, I guess we go back to Jerusalem. And I want you to see what they do. All right. Here's what they do. Verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, about a Sabbath day journey, half mile away. They walk a half mile. No idea what they're talking about, but I'm sure they basically just found it. He's not coming back. That was crazy. Let's just go wait. So you're waiting. What's your plan for waiting? Look at what they do. This is insane to me. All 11 of the disciples gives their names in verse 13. Peter and John and James and Andrew, all these guys, verse 14. 
all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. It wasn't just a group of men. There's these women that are there. They're equal standing. They're all together, all of them. There's about 120 of them. And they're doing one thing. They're together every day just praying. I just want you to think about that just, just for a moment. There's a, 120 of them. And the thing they do when they wait, it's probably it's like seven to 10 days before Pentecost happens. The thing they do every day is, hey, you know, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to get together. We're going to pray. But we're going to do it all day. We're going to do it in the morning. We're going to do it in the afternoon. We're going to do it at night. When you get off of work, come over here. We'll pray. If you, if you just skip work today, stay here, pray. I don't know what we're going to do for food. I don't know what we're going to do for money. We're just going to wait in this room and we're going to pray. We might read some Old Testament. If we've got it, we're going to pray. We're going to wait. We're going to pray. We're going to wait. We're going to pray. We're going to wait. And we're going to pray day in and day out. And we don't know how long we're going to do this. He just said to wait. We're doing this from now on. When? Till when? Can, can you imagine that? Uh, we, need to, we need to picture that. Picture if the game plan for us as a church was, there's probably about 150 of us in the room right now. This group, I said, here's our plan. We're going to open up this building every day, all day. 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. We're going to meet here every day. We're going to pray. No, no, I'm not going to preach a sermon. We're going to pray. No, we're going to do it tomorrow. We're going to do it Tuesday. We're going to do it Wednesday. We're going to do it Thursday. We're going to do it Friday. We're going to do it Sunday. Guess what happens on Sunday? I ain't preaching. We're just coming to this room. We're praying. We're going to do it next Monday and next Tuesday. Hey, pastor, are we off this prayer kick yet? Right? Like, let me, let me ask you a question. How many of us show up to that plan? Endless prayer. I, I'm going to get direct here for a moment. I, I, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at these 120 people who've got no New Testament. They have no spirit. They've got no air conditioning and no electricity. They don't have decades of training. They can't get into sermons anytime they want. They don't have well-paying jobs. They don't have a good education. They don't have a strategy. They just have the mission that Jesus gave them. And their response is, I'm going to pray every day, all day until I'm going to just do what he said. I'm going to wait and I'm going to pray. And then I look at us. You got the spirit. You got the New Testament. You have a nine week series on prayer. I know it could be better. I get that. But you have that. They didn't even have that. You all got Bibles on your phone in 40 million different versions. Anytime you want it. And if we did that, I actually don't believe any of us would show up. I don't believe that may feel too harsh for y'all. You might show up once. You aren't coming Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten days. You you aren't coming. You're saying, well, Pastor, that feels kind of harsh. Let me be honest, because I'm gonna get a run up here. Let me lay our history out for prayer. Wednesday nights before COVID. 
COVID wasn't around yet. We said, you know, we, let's take some, we need to pray. We started committing some of our Wednesday nights to prayer. And you know what happened to attendance? Bottom fell out. So I thought, oh man, maybe we're not ready for that. Maybe I'll start teaching. So I started like preaching through the Psalms of Ascent. Then COVID hit while I was trying to wrestle through. How do I lead us through this? As COVID hit, we missed Easter that year. Went through COVID for a year. And then we jumped to Easter this past year. Church, I, listen, I, I'm trying to point something out. I need you to hear the heart of this. Don't feel beat down on this. I need you to hear the heart of it. Easter hits, and we have all these plans for Easter, right? We got an Easter egg hunt, which y'all served. It was awesome. We got a dinner on the grounds, communion. You show up. It's a fantastic thing. We've got one event, which is a drop-in prayer. It's an interactive walk-through prayer. We opened up the church with stations. Make it easy for you, so you have to just... From 6 a.m. to 1 p.m. So you just drop in as long as you want, as little as you want, before work, during your lunch break, anytime in the morning. Less than 10 people came. Five of those were my wife and kids. And I thought, oh man, we're not, we're not there yet. So then we're praying about that and wrestling through. So, okay, we're going to do a six-week or nine-week sermon series on prayer. Didn't do it right off the bat, but about halfway through, we started a six-week, let's pray during lunch breaks on Tuesday from noon to 12.30. Said maybe the other thing didn't work because we didn't communicate well. So we announced from the pulpit, put it in the bulletin every week, put it on social media. Our attendance didn't do much better. Church, what are, what are we supposed to do with a group of men that don't have the spirit, group of men and women that don't have the spirit and don't have the New Testament? They're told to wait and they sit in a room for 10 days straight and do nothing but prayer. And then in the American church, I can try backflips. I can do whatever it takes. We're not coming to prayer. We're not. So I ask myself, man, why? Because I, I believe we can't take any further steps till we address this. Why? Like, what is it? So I started saying, maybe it's communication. I started thinking about that. Maybe we're not communicating clearly. Maybe we're not saying, man, this is awesome. We really need this. We're just saying, hey, there's prayer. You're like, I'm not doing that. I thought maybe, and, said, and then I rejected that. I said, no, I don't believe it's communication. I mean, it can be improved. I don't, I don't believe it's communication because, for example, um, we're, we're going to be doing like a tailgate thing at an FSU football game. And we're going to be partnering with BCM uh, here to help buy FSU football tickets. Where we go to the football game and some of the money goes to some of their mission trips. Totally pumped about it. Here's what I thought. I started thinking, OK, if I just mention that, how many people are like, oh, dude, what week is the game? Oh, I'm definitely going to a tailgate. And I cannot wait to go to an FSU football game. If I said the date, half of you would already know who the team was that we were playing. I thought, well, what, why? why? Why do I believe that we as a people would be more? I'm not saying it's wrong to be excited about FSU football game. I just, please don't miss where I'm going here. What is it? Because you hear it. Does it need a lot of pomp and circumstance? You hear about something you love and you'll have fun with, you think will be worth it, and you're going to immediately check your calendar and your bank account to see if you can pull this off. It's not about football or prayer. There's something in my heart, right? 
So I rejected communication. I rejected that theory of why. Second reason I thought, well, maybe we don't have the spirit. I need to think about the consequences of what I just said. I started chewing on that this week. I was praying with it, wrestling. Like, God, do we, do we have the spirit? Am I dealing with a bunch of people? Is the American church spiritless because she's full of people who don't really believe and know Jesus? That may be true some. Like some of you, the issue may be you, just, you honestly just need to get saved and meet the real Jesus. I started thinking about the conversations I've had with some of you. I, like I've, I see Jesus working in some of y'all. Like I see you serving and loving. Like I know that he's at work in some of you. I see that. I, I don't believe that this church is full of unsaved people. I can't know. I, I can't see our hearts. So I was left with a third one. A third one that I chewed on and I started searching the scriptures and I was reminded of one of the parables that Jesus told. He talked about a master leaving town and putting his servants all in charge saying, listen, here's what I need you to do. Keep the house in order. Do all your jobs. I'm going to leave. I don't know when I'm coming back, but I'll be back. So he leaves. And after a while, he just didn't come back quick enough. So he shows up and he's got servants sleeping. He's got other servants that are beating each other and a few that are doing what he asked them to do to begin with. And he, he makes the statement, hey, he's going to come back like a thief in the night and it's going to be hard to find people that are still engaged with the task that he gave. Started chewing on that passage saying, okay, it, it's not this. And I started thinking about this story that I heard about a missionary family that moved to the States they were excited to be here, to be in a vibrant church that's growing and busy and active. And they got to a busy and active church and they got really disappointed. They said, there's something wrong here. Like this place may be active, but it's, it's like, and they, the phrase they used was a satanic lullaby. Like they've fallen asleep and they're just, we got to get out of here before we fall asleep. We're going back overseas. I don't know if I agree with that thinking. I, I have a different theory. I started thinking, man, church, I think that's where we are at. For 10 years, we've been falling asleep. I'm not saying you're not active. I'm talking about busyness. I'm talking about like asleep, like nodding off, laying down for a rest because you're exhausted or tired and, and slowly the hunger to know and love Jesus and read his word and obey him starts to get tired and you get sleepy. The hunger to engage with one another in deep relationship, the thing you would beg for, you just got wore out with the hurt and the energy of it all. The mission, like wanting to reach people, like we want to try anything. And then just the fatigue of it, we just started to fall asleep. Then we tried to wake back up again and then COVID hit. And it's like taking someone who's waking up from a deep sleep and having them chug a bottle of NyQuil. Right? 
Like now, it's not just now, it's like this drug-induced coma. Like you're like, I ain't ever getting that person up. Like, and the church, church, if we're not careful, we're laying in a bed in a big puddle of drool and we're not getting up for nothing. It, it doesn't matter what you do to someone that's got NyQuil in their system. They're not getting up. And I ask her, are we asleep? Maybe not all of us, but church, I'm, I'm afraid we're asleep. Let me read you something that Jesus says to a church in Revelation chapter three. He says this, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. In other words, the words of him who has the Holy Spirit in his hand. I know your works. I know you. I see what you're doing. You're busy. You have a reputation of being alive. And he says this really difficult thing. But you are dead. Verse two, wake up and strengthen what remains as an about to die for I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Church, when we go to sleep spiritually, we don't get less busy. You get really busy. But your hunger dies. Your love dies. Your engagement in the mission dies. And you just fall asleep and you slip into a coma and you don't wake up. Church, I know there's a lot going on. COVID makes it complicated. But I'm afraid that if we don't wake up, we will die. We need to wake up. We need to engage the mission. We need to hunger for Jesus. We need to love one another. We need to get after the mission. We cannot stay asleep any longer. That's enough. It's time to wake up, church. Now it is time to wake up. Don't stay asleep. And you may be sitting there saying, well, how do I wake up? Like, what do I do? And listen, some of you are awake, please. Listen, some of you, man, like your hearts are burning for Jesus. I'm not, I'm not mad at you, church. I, I just want us to be a church that loves and obeys Jesus. And we can't do it if we're just laying around, sitting down and won't get going. The gospel does a work that causes us to burn, like really burn and really move and really obey. The church is not about attendance and showing up to events. This church is about following Jesus and loving one another and reaching the lost. That's what he's called us to. How do we wake up? Revelation 3, I think he makes it clear. You repent. You ask him to help. God, I need help. I want to wake up. And then listen, it's the same way you get out of bed in the morning. You don't say God ain't helped to get up and you smack the snooze button and you smack it again and roll over. You're not going to wake up if you stay in bed. Had a roommate in college. He was the worst at this. Uh, he would set his alarm clock 30 to 40 minutes before he had to get up 
just so he could hit snooze for 40 minutes. It was the worst. Dude, like after two months of that, I was like, bro, I need you to, you got to figure this out, man. You can't keep doing that. Like, I don't want, especially he worked security. So sometimes he was getting up at three in the morning and eh, eh, we're all in one room. It was the worst. Then he says, you know what I'm going to do? Great point. I'm going to move the alarm clock across the room. So I have to get up and hit it and then I'll be up. Didn't work because he'd get up and he'd hit it and he'd go back in bed. Like it was the most maddening experience you've ever experienced in your life, right? So, so how do you get up? You don't stay in bed. You actually roll over and you get your feet out of bed and you take those groggy first steps and it's painful, right? Some of y'all joints are popping, your back hurts, right? Because life is wearing at you. Others of you, listen, you're, it's 10 a.m. College kids, you're getting up at 10. I know it was a late night, but you're rolling out of bed. It's hard. You trudge over to wherever you've got coffee or Monster or Mountain Dew and you start chugging it. And the way you wake up is you get up and start moving. Now, church, if, if you start moving before you ask Jesus to change your heart, it's just going to be legalistic, guilt-pressured thing. The first step is heart change. But then at some point, you just got to get in the game. You just got to get in the game. And it may take a few steps at first. I get that. But it's time for us to get in the game. It's time to wake up. And I don't know what God would call you to. But if you've been asleep, if your affections for him have waned, if your obedience and engagement with the church has waned, and I know it's easy in COVID, you got to get up and you got to engage. You, you got to. And for some of you, here's the problem. For some of you, it's that first group I mentioned earlier. The problem is not that you need to wake up. The problem is you need to be awakened because you were never awake to begin with. You've been dead. You've never had Jesus give you new life. For some of you have been playing the religious game your whole life. And what's, what's been hidden by your religious busyness is a dead heart. You need to place your trust in Jesus and have him radically change you and save you. Some of you need to be actually brought back from the dead. And some of you, you've fallen asleep. And some of you, you're, listen, you're still engaged. You're a breath of fresh air. Listen, uh, you're, you're engaging in the ways that you can. I'm grateful for you. Don't lose it. Don't stop following him. Don't stop loving people. Don't stop that. You, you stay awake until he comes or until he takes us home. Church, would you bow your head and close your eyes? Give us a moment to think about what God would say to us today. I want to be careful because I want to be careful of those who might have tender consciences or weak consciences. But for some of you, the thing that got put in your heart is not that you need to wake up. The thing that you put in your heart is you need God to bring you to life on the inside. So if that's you, I want to tell you the gospel. The gospel is that our hearts are all dead to him on the inside. And that's why Jesus came. He came and he died on a cross and he came back to life three days later. And he says, listen, if, if you just... Turn from your sin and place your trust in me. Not in your works, not in your effort, not anything else. If you'll place your trust in me, he says he'll save you. He'll give you a new heart and he'll put the spirit in you and he will wake you up. That's you. You can just do that right there in your seat. Just ask him to save you. 
For some of you, you've been busy, but you've been asleep. Listen, I just want to encourage you right there. Repent and wake up. Ask him what the first step out of that bed is for you and do it. Whether that's small groups or waking up and reading your Bible or something, but find out what that step is to awaken. Don't go to sleep. Don't stay asleep. For some of you, you're awake. You may not know it. You feel groggy at times. You feel the pull to stop, but, but you're awake. You, you want to grow. You want to know him. You want to be in relationship. You want to be on the mission. Listen, will you just take a moment and would you beg him to help you stay awake? Would you pray for this church that more of us would wake up? Church, in a moment, we're going to sing in response. You can do business with God right there in your seat. This altar will be open if you want to come and pray. If you can just speak to someone of pastors and decision counselors down front, we would love to serve you if that's what you want. But whatever it is that God's doing in your heart, would you just respond to him? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I just pray that you would do a work in our hearts. God, would you protect the people who are following you? I, I pray you protect them from false guilt in this moment. God, I do pray for the people that you're speaking to. I, I, I pray you would work in hearts. I, I pray that we would wake up. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this altar is open. Our past.